Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Even Baddies Wear Helmets. My name is Billy Collins and this is the show about children's TV and the big kids who get to make it. This is the very final episode of the series, but don't worry, the wonderful thing about podcasts is that podcasts are a wonderful thing. You can listen back, so you can go and revisit that one time we talked to Helen Blakeman about adaptation, or that time I geeked out with Hilda's Stephanie Simpson about Scooby-Doo. And also, rumour has it, we might be thinking about a second series, but don't tell anyone I told you because it's at a very early stage and producer Chloe needs a lie down because she's been working very hard. Right now, though, we are going out with a bang. Our final episode is all about sitcom. It's also about showrunning, and we have an absolutely class guest. Today, we are speaking to Anthony Q. Farrell, creator and showrunner of CBBC's Secret Life of Boys and upcoming series The Parker Andersons and Amelia Parker. Anthony has also previously written for The Office, The Thundermans, and a bunch of other brilliant TV shows. He has experience in sitcom, stand-up, and sketch comedy, and he joined me for this conversation from Toronto in Canada. Anthony and I talked about family, we talked about the power of comedy, we talked about character development, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So, on with the series finale. Hello, Anthony. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? I'm very well, actually. Yeah. How are things in Toronto? Uh, Spring has arrived. Everyone's very excited. Lovely. Yeah. I think it's a a nice time. Now, listen, I've been inside for the last three or four days because I've been busy on things. But from what I hear, it's lovely outside. (laughs) Rumor has it. It's wonderful. Well, we're here to talk about uh, sitcoms, specifically sitcom for young audiences. I want to start by asking, have you always been a comedian? <laughs> I think so. I, you know what? Um, I always like making people laugh. I think it's, you know, you've heard the story many a time, the fat kid syndrome, you know, where you're kind of like, well, I'm just going to make people laugh to distract them from what I look like. And it's just kind mm-hmm. of like you, you get to a place where, also I moved around a lot. So it was like that kid, new kid, a lot of that stuff was like, all right, what's going to, what's going to get me in people's good graces as quickly as possible. And it was, uh, it was comedy. Amazing. I I love that. that So often the things that kind of set us on a path to to who we become are kind of, I don't know, there's just something about who we are as kids that suddenly informs our our entire future is is really fascinating. It's the foundation of those building blocks. You kind of, you don't realize until you get older, you kind of go, oh. Yeah, that's yeah. It all makes sense now. Yeah, I think it's all the geeks, all the geeks from school are now absolutely smashing it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Am I right in saying that your first professional gig was on The Office? Yeah, my first professional writing job was on The Office. And how did that come about? Surely that's quite surreal. Yeah, it 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 was surreal. I mean, it was one of those things where I had um, I had moved out to Hollywood a few years earlier. I was doing theater. I was doing stand up. I was doing improv. Um, I finally found myself a literary manager and um, she was taking me through, she was basically introducing me to all kinds of network people and production companies and that kind of stuff. And um, I was a part of a couple of different diversity programs and one of them was with NBC. And so that kind of led to my material getting to to the office and to Greg Daniels. Um, so I guess that's kind of like 
the way I kind of went through it was I was part of that diversity program. And it is it, surreal that that was the first show that I, I got onto. It's just because it was one of those things where it was like, I was, uh, I was just in the right place, right time. I had worked very hard for a long time. And uh, it just so happened. I was also working in, I was working in offices. I've worked in a lot of offices <laughs> over my time. And one of the reasons why I think Greg liked me is that I wasn't like, I wasn't like that that writer who was just kind of like just writing and just kind of not doing anything else. Like I was literally mm-hmm. working in an office when I met him. And he was like, this actually, he might actually have some stories that were ripped from the headlines. And I I, I had some very, very real <laughs> stories um, I, 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 I got to bring to the table. So, yeah. 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 That, that lived experience as opposed to just being one of those kind of another writer who is that's all they've ever done. Yeah. Those are, people are very lucky and I, I'm very happy that they get to do that. But there's a lot of people who kind of like, oh, you know, they you kind of kind of come out of school as a writer. They get into it. Like, you know, they they have enough they have enough wealth that they don't have mm-hmm. to worry about stuff like that. And then they they can just focus on the thing that they love, which is great. I think it's I think it's a very lucky thing to have. But I, that was not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I mean, as well as working in an office, kind of performing stand up, writing sketches and stuff like that around yeah. around doing all of that. Right. It's, I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot on your plate. But um, I mean, I imagine fantastic experience. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's one of those things where I, I was like, I knew I wanted to be in the business. I wasn't sure exactly which way I was going to get my foot in the door. Whether it was going to be through writing, through acting, through directing, through theater, through stand up. So it was one of those things where it's just like, I'll just throw, I'll just throw my body at everything, and then uh, we'll see what we'll see what sticks. Mm-hmm. And uh, the writing was the first thing to um, to land me some professional. Uh, some professional money, and I was like, "Oh, I kind of like this." <laughs> Wicked. I and mean, what is it about sitcom as a form in particular that that you find exciting? Out all of those different kinds of comedy that that you have done and you can do, what is it about sitcom that is that is so special? And I grew up watching so much of it. You know, I think it informed a lot of like you said, back to the childhood thing, right? Like I I watched my mom. My mom's probably going to be mad that I'm saying this, but I watched so much TV as a kid. <laughs> I, I watched like every like I was, every night I watched whatever primetime show was on like what I just because it made me laugh it, I loved it it was one of those things where um the humor the comedy it was I was engaged throughout so I wanted to that's I wanted to to do I wanted to be that for other people I wanted to make people laugh and make people feel good about themselves and that helped them see themselves on on TV which became one of my missions later on and uh once i started writing stuff but it was one of those yeah i think that's kind of what connected me to that in particular and i think also i was good at it so i was like oh i'm good at this thing i should i should do that thing that i'm good at Hmm. easier yeah it's always a bonus (laughs) (laughs) and having worked on on the office then you kind of went on to work on a number of other shows and, and also branching out into content for young people with with um shows like the fundamentals what did you learn from working on adult sitcom that kind of that you brought to your work for for children? You know, it's interesting because kids like the same thing adults do, which is like they like stories that make sense. They like characters that are interesting. They like they like a lot of that. They like seeing themselves and the characters on TV. Like I think a lot of that, a lot of that you you learn from either you know from either place, whether it's kids shows or 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 shows for for adults. I think that's kind of what I I took from it. Um, was that no matter what type of writing it is, you need a you need strong characters, you need obstacles, you need good story, like you need all that stuff to make it work. And um, 
it was one of those things where I was kind of like, oh, going into a kid show, I was like, let's see what this is all about. And I was like, oh, no, it's you're still writing. You're still making – you still got to make the story. You still got to make it – you still have to work to make the, sh- the, the series as tight as possible. It was it was good to see that. Absolutely, yeah. I think I think sometimes maybe writers can get caught up in the I'm writing for children, so in some way that's going to be completely different and I have to kind of – I don't know, there's, there's that thing where you end up patronizing or you, you write what you think kids are interested in as opposed to just going, okay, what's what's the story here? What are the obstacles? Like you say, what are, what are all the elements that just make good comedy? Um, that's really interesting to hear. Yeah, it was – yeah, because it's, it's one of those things where it's like you, like you said, I was kind of like, oh, well, kids show stuff. Let's see what this is all about. But it was – and I'll tell you how I got into the kid show stuff too, which is that I had a script that was a very adult script about pimps in Atlanta and someone at... It's not where I was expecting that to start no, with how I got no. into kid shows. It was, and they read the script and they, they, someone at Di- the two people at Disney wanted to meet me. And I was like, Disney? Which Disney? That's, I was very <laughs> confused. I was like, what, what did they read? They're like, the one about the pimps? Oh, okay, hold, that's interesting. All right. So I went in there and I was very, very confused. Um, but I was like, you should, which now my manager said you read the script about the pimps. Like, oh yeah, we loved it. It was great. And I was like, why am I here? <laughs> um, but they, they explained it, which is why Disney's so good at what they do. They're like, listen, we, we know that not everyone's going to be writing kids shows because they, everyone wants to write shows for themselves. But what we look for when we read these scripts is, do you have a strong character? Do you have strong obstacles? Does the story make sense? All that stuff they loved. And they're like, we can adapt that to you know, we just we just take out the pimps and the swearing, and then it'll be, it'll be it'll be a kid show. And I was like, "Huh?" And that led to me writing a, a pilot for uh, Disney. And never we never ended up shooting it, but it was kind of an interesting experience writing shows. That kind of kicked off my oh, I guess I can write for kids. That's that's really fascinating. I mean, because again, I think it's a thing of when. I sort of ask people, how did you get into writing content for children? It's often, more often than not, it's somebody doesn't go, oh, you know, I always wanted to write for kids and I've always been writing for kids. There is a kind of, it takes someone else to go, you have that that spirit or or that capability within you and, and to, to sort of tease it out. And then the show that I'd really love to talk in more detail about is The Secret Life of Boys because I just, I, I've had so much fun with it, um, in which Ginger moves from Australia to the UK to stay with her cousins. She kind of gets caught up in all of their antics. Um, how did you come to, to create that series? Where did the initial idea come from? The initial idea came from just my life with my cousins as a kid. Like we had, there's, there are always cousins around and we were always getting into mischief and getting into trouble and putting holes in walls and then saying, we don't know how those holes got there. <laughs> Stuff like that. Like they just, like it, <laughs> especially summertime. Like it was just one of those things where it was like, we were just all in the house and then we'd be like, okay, let's go. And we go to the park and then we just create havoc wherever we went. So I was thinking about that. And then at the same time, I was thinking about doing a show at the time when I started this, my daughter was probably, when I started thinking about this idea, my daughter's probably a six Mm, yeah, she's probably like five or six. And I was looking for more content that would engage her. So I thought about making it a, a young woman who had to move with her cousins. And then that kind of developed into, initially it was um, a girl from California who moved to the UK. And then the Australian Broadcasting Company came on board and they're like, we love this idea, but can we make her Australian? And I was like, yeah, I have some <laughs> research to do. But I will, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And what was funny is I had a friend who lived out in, um, just outside of Sydney and he had two daughters. And so I had a, I immediately jumped on a, a, a Zoom call, not a Zoom call, a Skype call. This was, this was for <laughs> Zoom for the early 2010s. In um, the heady days of the past. 
I jumped on a Skype call with him and his two daughters, and I just started talking to them about like their experiences and what they're doing, and like just getting like little, um, just getting like little tidbits about like what it, what life is like in in Sydney for them. So that kind of led to some of the stuff that we did, you know, for for, for Ginger. That's really interesting. I, I had been wondering about why it was Australians, but I kind of I, I I sort of assumed initially when I heard about it that you would be Australian as well. So that's that's interesting to know to know why that 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 came in. Um, was was this your first time show running as well? Yeah, it was. I mean, I had show run some like web series stuff that I had run for myself, but this is my first time running a show for um, someone else for, mm. for someone, another broadcaster. That's exciting. And then how did your experience of, of being in a writer's room previously inform your approach to to running this show? It's one of the things you learn so much from the people that you work with, right? Like you learn the good things to do, the bad things to do. You kind of get into a sense of like, oh, I would do this. I would do, I would not do that. And I had a lot of like, I guess, management experience. Like even as a young teenager, I kind of like, I'd done a lot of like supervisory stuff for like, I worked at a theater, I worked at a, uh, I worked at a uh, theme park for like six years. And for a bunch mm-hmm. of those years, I was, I was a supervisor for the rides and stuff like that. So I, and I was always like in student council and I was always kind of already in a leadership mode wherever I was, wherever I was. So I was always looking to do that. I was always looking to, 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 to be in charge of stuff that I can, you know, help bring more people into the fold and that kind of stuff. So, so I was already kind of thinking about that. And then watching Greg Daniels work uh, on the office and then Paul Lieber, Stephen Gensalata uh, work uh, as showrunners of that show while I was there. You just learn so much and you, you pick up, you just kind of sit back and you kind of absorb as much as you can. And then every once in a while you kind of say, hey, why did you do that? And then they go, oh, I did that because of these reasons. You go, oh, okay, cool. And the cool thing about The Office was that they actually, they they let the writers, they kind of treated the writers, even the newest ones, as the producers of their script. So I was there for all the meetings. I was there for, uh, I was there in post-production doing editing stuff. I went to the mix for one of my episodes. So a lot of stuff that some writers don't get to do um, I got to do on the office because, you know, Greg wanted to make sure that his writers were not only taking stuff off of his plate, but also learning how to do stuff um, for when they get, when they become showrunners. I think that's the reason why there's such a strong, such a strong contingent of writers who have left the office who are running their own shows and running, doing their own things. Cause I feel like he kind of fostered that environment in a, mm-hmm. in a real way. I'm just kind of thinking about it now. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are from the, from the show who are, <laughs> are running their own things. And I think it's, it's, it's down to his, uh, yeah, it's down to him trying to create an environment where more people can be, can be showrunners. Mm-hmm. That kind of, it's almost like a, a showrunner school in some ways. It really was. And I kind of do the same thing for my writers now. Like I get my, I make sure that my writers are all involved in the meetings. I get them involved in post-production whenever I can. Like I, I, I tried, I told them from the, I tell them all from the very beginning, like my goal is for you to, to walk away from me and be to be on your own show and to, to run your own stuff. So, mm. and I always open myself to questions and any, anything like that. They're always, there's, there's always stuff that pops up, like, you know, like, Oh, what's going on? Like, what, what is that? What was that about? And then, like, Oh, you know what? Why don't you sit in this meeting? And then we'll, I'll, I'll explain what this is all about. So. That's really cool to hear. Cause even, <laughs> even when the stuff you were saying about like going, like just working as a manager outside of, of kind of the TV industry as a showrunner, you're always balancing kind of, creative responsibilities alongside being a manager and being a mentor and, and you know working with people and it's just really interesting to hear how those those two sides of the role can can interact yeah you need i think you need it i think especially because people when they start show writing a lot of times people are like oh well, i'm a good writer so it'll be easy to be showrunner. no like you have to be a good people person to all the best showrunners i feel like are good at 
managing people as well, because not only will they not feel like they have to do everything themselves, they'll also be uh, lifting up the people around them and then it'll make for a, a better project. Um, so returning to Secret Life of Boys for a sec. So the, the show has this, I mean, it's got this wonderful kind of madcap energy. It moves along at this brilliant pace. And, and if there's a gag, you you often find a way to take it kind of just a step further, but without ever uh, overstretching it. And it has, a, it feels, I don't know, it just feels like it has a real unique identity. And I'd love to hear more about how you developed the sort of tone and style of the show in, in the early days. Yeah, so Stephen Andrew, who is... Um the executive producer on this from, from uh, Zodiac kids. We, I worked with him pretty closely to make, to, to kind of bring that, that energy, but also bring the heart to the show. Um, one of the things that we talked about doing was having more Americanized TV in this, in this show. so there's like more mess, there's more gun. It's kind of like, it's almost like you've taken like a Nickelodeon vibe and you brought it to BBC. So that's kind of why you have a lot of the, the stuff that we have. So we were always trying to, we're always, you know, between him and I, we were always kind of pushing each other to, to make gags go further. And then, of course, with the interactive um, element, we really wanted to make sure those gags went further because we wanted people to click those buttons. And that's when, so Trevor Klein comes in. He's also a creative, uh, very creative dude. And he he uh, was the person that came in and kind of like helped us um, help us solidify the interactive stuff, but he also is super creative and super fun. And so he would also push us for, he'd also make us, he push us in ways for getting bigger and better gags. And also he would be like, Oh, we can also do this with visual effects. I know somebody, it was just kind of like, it was kind of like a great, it was a great sort of like a combination of brains on it. Um, especially in that first season, I didn't have a writer's room in that first season. So it's kind of like, I wrote all the scripts and then it was mostly like me talking to Steven and then Beryl, our director, of course, came in and then, um, and Trevor. And so th- a lot of that came from just, a lot of the stories in season one came from like my, <laughs> came from my life, like <laughs> the, the, the dead bird saga, like all, all that stuff came from like my, my childhood. Amazing. It has that, yeah. I can, you can get you get that sense of it that it does come from a real kind of authentic place of of fun and just that, yeah, like the the sheer kind of adventure of of hanging out with your cousins when you're a kid is really lovely. And I wanted to pick up on as well. You mentioned the the interactive elements of the show. I mean, I I only came to it initially as a straight sitcom, and it was only in preparing um, for this interview that I found out that there had been this whole interactive element as well because I'd just been watching it on iPlayer. Um, what was what was the thinking behind making this an interactive show? Well, the thinking, BBC came to us and said, hey, we're thinking about doing something interactive. We don't know what exactly it means yet, but are you guys interested in exploring that with the show? And we were like, yeah, this feels like the next frontier of, of you know, television, getting, giving kids, you know, giving kids the opportunity to, to be in control of what they're, you know, of, of their content. So, <clears throat> so it started from there, them saying, can we do this? And we said, yeah, we'll try. And we kind of went through a bunch of different processes where we were trying to do different things to figure out. Because for me, I wanted to make sure that the story wouldn't change. I didn't want to have to write a choose your own adventure where the story is different every single time. Because mm. I wasn't going to write 80 pages for a 20 minute story. I was just like, this is not gonna, <laughs> that's just bananas. <clears throat> so what we were trying to figure out is ways to to engage kids, but then they always come back to the story. So we were just trying to find things. That, and then we ended up with a bunch of different ideas where it's like, you know, push button punch lines where you get a different gag every single time, which is basically you're using alts that you've written that kind of plus the comedy 
uh, and then you can kind of go into um, a more silly or more broader, um, more silly, more broader uh, uh, area to get more gags and more jokes. And then we had later on, we had um, uh, we had sing it, where it's just kind of like, oh, someone's just going to sing that song. So basically, just trying to figure out funny ways to to get kids interacting with with the the buttons and uh, and the story. So. Uh, yeah, that's kind of where that started, and then it took a little while for us to get to the place where it we could where it, we figured it out made sense. Like I said, Trevor came in, and he was like, "Here's some stuff that I've seen in the past of work here's and then we kind of took that and creatively created our own versions of them. And then that happened pretty much right before we started shooting season one, so we had to like redo scripts and all kinds of stuff, and uh, it was a it was a wild time, but it was a, it was a fun time. It sounds great. I mean, and, and as well that that, like you say, it doesn't alter the story in a, in a huge way. But at the same time, it feels like just like having Easter eggs is really exciting. And also, as a writer, like so often, there's stuff that you want to squeeze into your script that you can't get in because you're being given a time limit. Whereas to have yeah. the opportunity to go, oh, and we could do five different other punchlines for this gag is just really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you started on the show, you said you were you didn't have a writers' room at that point. Did you? anticipate that it would run for for five series and how do you kind of keep it fresh across that time i i wasn't i knew it would i knew it would go a little while i figured it would go a couple seasons i didn't i didn't know we were gonna get five seasons um you know plus the christmas special and the um yeah so what was the second part of your question and how do you kind of keep it fresh during oh, during that five that that's expensive time? I think you know what. Once I got a writer's room for season two, it, I just kind of like I, that's what I love about the process. Like you think to yourself, okay, I can definitely write this show for the rest of my life. Uh, but I'm a big fan of bringing in other voices and other people, just because that's what gives it longevity. That's what gives it more uh, interesting stories, and people are bringing their lives to these characters, and everyone kind of connects to different characters for different reasons. So having that story conference for season two was was amazing because it was just like all these people were bringing stories from their childhood with their families. And all of a sudden we had like, I was like, oh, we have too much stuff <laughs> because it was, it was just like these writers were who are great. Um, we're bringing all this different stuff. And then in terms of like keeping it fresh, it's just one of those things where it's like, you're always just trying to look for ways to, because the kids are growing, right? You're trying to look mm-hmm. for ways to, make the stories feel authentic to their age. And so, you know, with as growing up, I mean, you, every year, every summer was a very different summer because you just, you change so much over, over that year. So that's kind of the easy way to how we kept it fresh is just that we just kind of kept it authentic to the characters and the characters remained fresh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, often when we talk about sitcoms, we kind of, something that comes up a lot is, is the idea of, of, minimal or a lack of character development in that in the each episode is almost a reset and you go back to a, a familiar situation but one of the things that I really love about Secret Life Boys is is the character development um and I wanted to ask particularly about the moment when um Ethan becomes Thane but for those who haven't <laughs> seen it this is a big spoiler but he kind of changes his name starts dressing in all this absolutely like wicked gothic kind of clothes they're just I mean all of the coats I have much envy <laughs> um, I mean it could it could have been so easily played for laughs but it, it, it um it's actually used to make a really sort of tender point about self-expression and about the acceptance of your family what sort of conversations were you having about that transformation and why was it important to you to to include it in the series yeah I think it's one of those things where kids like they're get, they get to that place when they're around that age and they're kind of like what 
I don't know what I'm about. You know, and they start asking themselves those questions. And it's just kind of, they've just been coasting along, doing what mommy and dad have been telling them to do. And then they kind of realize, oh, wait, what? what's my voice? And I remember I have a cousin who changed her name when she was older. She was uh, she was coming out of uni. And she was like, I'm not that anymore. I'm this. And it was like, I remember thinking to myself, you can do that. <laughs> you can just say you're something else. And she changed it on her driver's licenses and her passports. And I was just like, what that's amazing and she she had a similar vibe to to Thane as well where she's kind of like a little bit of the the outsider and just kind of like that that's cool but it was just like even more of an air of mystery so i kind of thought it would be kind of interesting to to see ethan go through that transformation to try and become more of what uh you know he kind of he kind of has been in a cocoon for a long time and he just kind of comes out this beautiful gothic butterfly <laughs> absolutely and it just yeah as you say it kind of it it feels very authentic and it and it sets things up later as well for, for future kind of moments of character development it's just a really wonderful it was a surprise as well which I enjoyed I didn't oh, I didn't sort of see it coming and it just but it made so much sense at the same time that, I love stuff like that I love when it's kind of like oh this is this is bonkers but at the same time it's real like I, I can see a kid you see kids doing it all the time. Like, you know, there's a, those kids that you see who are wearing dark makeup and stuff like that, they don't, they don't, they're not born that way. Like <laughs> at some point they make a choice. They're kind of like, you know what? I, this is, this is who I am and I'm going to go this way. And so it was, it'd be, it was kind of interesting to see, um, to have that play out in this character. Cause I remember, I can't remember, we were talking about, we we're talking about Ethan and his like expression and like, you know, what he's going to do, like where he goes. And I was like, man, like, I feel like he's going down this path. So like, why not just let it happen and see what, where it takes us. Yeah. Sometimes the characters just take you places you don't, you don't expect and you just kind of go with it and you kind of go, and that's kind of like a lot of my improv background is kind of being like, yes. And all right, what else is going to happen? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can totally see that. Yeah. Um, more generally, how do you approach um, character development within sitcom, especially when when writing for kids. If that's too broad a question, let me know. No, no, no. Because what, what I would do at the beginning of each season, I would create um, I would create a season in a nutshell. I'd create like a little document because you have to kind of do this for BBC anyways before you get um, greenlit for another season. You kind of say, well, here are the characters. Here's what I, here's the development I want for them over the season. Here's some just a few stories that I want to explore. But I kind of set that at the very beginning of the season kind of saying here's this is what i want to do and then i share that with the writers and the writers like oh you know what's great like i feel like this reminds me of this what about a story like this that'll really inform what you're looking for with thane or what you're really looking for with Corey, or what you're really looking for with chris like we just kind of like i kind of have like a basic like okay this is the this is what i feel like i would also say like the theme i'd also have like a theme for each season right i'm trying to remember what the themes were for all the seasons but like one of them was um one of them was identity, right? Like, so then I think that's probably the season that, that thing was, that thing came to life where, cause mm-hmm. everyone's trying to figure out what their identity is. And I think, uh, and then, yeah, so just like a lot of like, so we, I'd have a theme, I'd have kind of character ideas for development and then writers would get a hold of it. And we would all get into a room and just get into a virtual room, which is funny because I've already been doing virtual rooms for a long time. So when <laughs> all the COVID stuff happened, I was like, yeah, I know, I'm, pretty good already because before it was cool yeah because some writers were in uk some writers were in la some in toronto like it was just kind of like we just needed to figure it out so we would just do these rooms on on skype and 
uh, and uh, Google Meet and different things. So it was one of those things where it's like, oh, okay, this is this is doable. And everyone would get on these Skype meetings or these Google meetings, and we would just like throw ideas into the into the ring, and then we would see where it all it all landed. So, but that that's how we got that's how we got to where we got to. We start with a one page document that said, "Here's a theme for the season. Here's what the characters are up to. There's one or two big events I want to explore, but what else do you guys got?" Mm-hmm. It's interesting to hear that there's there's different sort of themes within different seasons, and it, it seems to me as well that across kind of your work more generally there's a common thread i mean in in thunderman secret life of boys um upcoming parker anderson's each show has a really strong family unit at its core and i wonder what is it about family as a relationship dynamic as a theme that makes you keep returning to it i think you know it's just it's you're always trying to find relatable relatable things right and so to get people to connect to tv and that's why there's so many family shows on tv <clears throat> because you know most people have families whether you you like that or you don't like that you still have to deal with it. <laughs> um uh yeah and i feel like there's a lot of like so because of that i feel like you can you can get a lot of stories just from your own lives and also from from other writers lives um yeah and it, just like you know like you said your childhood is my, i was so i'm so connected to the family and so connected to my family now like i feel like it, it makes writing stories easier it makes writing relatable things easier um yeah i'm a i like to write what i know which i think is what what makes me um what makes me successful i think mm-hmm. that authenticity um yeah. and and the yeah I, I i think i'm interested as well in the family dynamics allow you to explore things from lots of different perspectives i mean secret life boys if something happens we see it from each character's sort of point of view um and that idea again feels pretty central to the projects that you're currently working on so that you're, you're show running two new individual but linked sitcoms so the parker andersons and amelia parker can you just give us a quick overview on what those shows are about yeah so um the shows are and i actually didn't create the show i was just show running because um there was um uh, they needed to show them to come in and, and take over the show. So I, I kind of stepped in like, oh, this is a cool concept. I'll happily kind of like explore this. So the basic idea is Parker Anderson's is you have a black man from the UK, uh, a white woman from Chicago. They He is a widower. She's a divorcee. They both have kids from their previous relationships. Um, they both have two kids from previous relationships. They get married. They create this blended family. They move and they're living in Chicago. Um and it's just kind of like a, the the Parker Anderson's is about them kind of building their lives, trying to kind of find new space and kind of like figuring out like what this new family is because they've only been married for six months at this point. There's another show tied to that called Amelia Parker because the the husband's youngest youngest child's daughter, Amelia Parker, she is a selective mute, and she um. She hasn't spoken since she was in the accident that, that took her mom. And so she hasn't spoken since that accident to anyone. But what happens at the beginning of this series is that she starts speaking to camera because she's sending messages to her, to her mom, like to her cloud, basically. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like how she, cause she kind of needs some help with some stuff. So she reaches out to her mom in this way. And that's, so you kind of get a sense of like, she's speaking to camera but she's not speaking to anyone else. So you're getting, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like Secret Life Boys in that way where Ginger's always speaking to camera, but she's doing it for, you know, obviously in season one, she's talking to her dad and 
other seasons she's doing different things but like um that's kind of like the basis for for this for amelia parker so you get you almost get like the you get the show and the spin-off at the same time which mm-hmm. is the, which that part in treatment does a bunch of the stuff that i was kind of talking about with amelia parker that kind that stuff i i that stuff i brought to the to the show but the basic idea of like you having a family and then you having a show based on the girl that was all done that was all there before i got involved and then i kind of added the stuff with she's speaking the camera to her mom and that 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 all that those little heartstring things yeah yeah those little details and i guess as well like the the way in which you can take that larger show those larger arcs but then again like go into them look into little kind of maybe the aspects that you might not have time for in in the larger show to kind of explore those a little bit further or the emotional impact of stuff is really exciting um but but i mean show running two things at once doesn't sound easy what have been the sort of biggest challenges of that so far well that one was uh even crazier because i actually took over the show like five weeks before they started shooting so and we had wow. to <laughs> trips. that was a little bit of madness so I, what i think <laughs> when i talked to the bbc writers room thing i think i was we were about a month of production you just kind of like okay go you kind of like okay we have we're starting shooting in this many weeks we need to rewrite all these scripts um we just put our heads down and we just figured it out. And so I had a great room of writers that were excellent and just brought their A game to everything. And so we rewrote the script very, very quickly. Um, we uh, were in production while we were writing. So it was, it was a lot of madness. And then the thing that I did in terms of like writing two shows, because each episode, episode one of the Parker Andersons connects to episode one of Amelia Parker. And so there's a little bit of crossover. So there's a little bit of trial and error with that that we have to do very quickly. But we wanted to make sure that the, the the shows they happen at the same time. So you would kind of, if you watch one, you'd be like, "Oh, there's little Easter eggs from that episode where you're kind of like, oh, I saw that leads to this in Amelia Parker.' Or we're watching Amelia Parker first, and you're like, "Oh, that that seems like something's going on in Parker Anderson." So you can kind of like, if you watch both shows, you get a little bit more out of it. And that kind of comes from my experience with Secret of the Boys, where it's kind of like, if you do if you do the interact like for seasons one and seasons two, if you did the interactive version, you would get more out of it. But if you watch just the show, you would get what you needed. You'd get everything you needed. Mm-hmm. But there's a little bit of bonus content if you happen to be able to do the uh, interactive stuff. So that's kind of how we looked at doing two shows at once. And it was easier because all the characters are the same in both shows. So you're just kind of figuring out, okay, I've got these stories. Where does, does this Is this more of a Parker Anderson story? Is this more of a mini Parker story? Because you wanted the, sh- the shows to feel... Um, individual you wanted to feel like separate but um still part of the same world so mm-hmm. that was that made it a little easier to write to write them together but we did want to make sure that they were like you know that parker anderson was about building a family and leah parker was about her finding her voice so that thematic those thematic elements helped us differentiate them and then give them each their own voice really touched on this a little bit in terms of the links between um these new shows and secret life of boys and the the interactive elements it seems that with these two shows it you're someone who enjoys innovation and kind of playing with traditional platforms i wonder what drives that that need for experimentation in you and does it does it lend itself particularly well to shows for for children and young people i think so you know i think for me what drives me to this stuff is I just, I just enjoy, I just enjoy experimentation. I, I, 
I love science classes. Actually, when I went to school, my my degree is in theater and math. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So I have a I have a major in theater and a minor in math. It started off as a double major, and then when I got to like the fourth year, we were doing all the Goodwill Hunting proofs, and I was like, I'd much rather pretend to do this on a on a TV set. Um, <laughs> someone could write up the proof and then I just come in and be like, look what I did. Like that just didn't happen in math class. Um, But I, I love science. I love that sort of stuff. I love, like I love trial and error. And then obviously with like improv and sketch and stand up, like that's what that is. You're just kind of throwing things at a wall and hope and seeing what sticks. And so I'm, I'm okay with, um, I'm okay with, I'm okay with failure, I guess, is it's, it's what improv is all about. Like, you have to get up there and be okay with failure. Like, things are going to fall apart and fail, and then you just kind of like, oh, okay, well, let's do this instead. Like, oh, okay, great. So for me, for me, that's kind of, I always love that part of it. That's really exciting to me. And then in terms of, like, why I think kids like it, I think it's because kids are always, get, the kids get smarter and smarter. They're growing so much. They're looking for things that are going to, they're are going to entertain them and engage them in real ways. Like, I have a, so I have my daughter is almost fourteen and my son's almost seven. Like I, so I have that a good range of like watching these kids and just like being like, oh, I see what you're into. That's interesting. I see why you're into it, and that kind of informs my writing a lot when I'm writing for for kids and for families. Absolutely, and there's something as well I think about, like you say, it lending itself particularly to children because they are so so keen to to play with things and to challenge ideas and to push boundaries. And I think, Absolutely. especially as well when it comes to stuff about family, because no one has a really sort of linear structured experience as as a kid or, or as a teenager and then even the things like with um ethan becoming sane that's not something that really fits into you know no one sees it coming when they're a kid i don't know where i'm going with this but i feel like oh, it's yeah, just absolutely. there's something about that that ability to go down lots of different paths and to unpick things a little bit more and not just have to sort of go from episode one to episode two to episode three in a really structured fashion um seems really interesting yeah I mean, I'd love to hear more about um, assembling writers' rooms as well. You've kind of touched a little bit on on the importance of the people that you have in the room and the ideas that they bring. What do you look for in writers when you're putting a team together? I think for me, one of the first things I look for, I look for representation in the writers' room. I want to make sure that there's a lot of good, diverse, different voices. I always try to make sure because <clears throat> obviously I understand that you know my privilege as a as a cisgendered man. Like I want to make sure there's at least half women in the room as, as best I can. And then, um, which has been easy to do. In fact, more often than not, I have more women in the room than, than men. Um, then, uh, and I just look for a diverse and interesting voice. I read a lot of scripts. I just kind of look for things that make me laugh. Uh, I look for things that connect to the characters that I'm, that I'm going to be writing for. Um, for instance, with um, the uh, Parker Anderson's, because the family's from the UK, I, I may, I want to make sure I hired, you know, a writer, there was a writer in town who was from the UK, uh, who was um, a great writer. And I was like, oh, are you, are you available? Because I would love to have your voice as a part of this, just to be able to speak from a place of truth about some of these things. So it, it was it, things like that I'm looking for. And every show is different. Every show you're trying to build something. You, every show you're, you're trying to build another Avengers. You know what I mean? Like, it's just <laughs> kind of like <laughs> you're just trying to be like, okay, all right, I'm going to need a Hawkeye. I'm going to need an Ant-Man. I'm going to need... Definitely gonna need a black widow. Like I'm just like you're just kind of figuring yeah, out what yeah. you need for each for each show, and I, I kind of enjoy that process too. Like it just kind of like, and then once you get into a room, it's you know, it's just pure energy after that. Mm-hmm. 
where the magic happens. <laughs> that's so. I love the idea of it being like assembling the Avengers. That's wicked. Um, and um, family sitcoms more generally really lend themselves to kind of co-viewing, to, to watching with your kids, lots of different people, lots of different generations kind of gathering around the TV together. Um, but I think it's something that can be really hard to get right is 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 nailing something that both adults and kids can can watch and invest in what tips do you have for making work that the whole family can settle into i think it's i think for me it's sophistication right like i think you just got to make sure your your dialogue and your stories are sophisticated because what i always have a problem with when i'm watching shows with my kids is when i get like when i get like what is this it's because the stories are too simple the um the characters are weirdly adult characters are weirdly childish or or not real so yeah i just try to make sure that the the writing is the the stories are strong we move quickly um we have like fun physical stuff that's a part of the show that you know well usually it makes me laugh and it makes kids laugh that's also part of it i think i have a i think i have a very childish brain <laughs> um. <laughs> I think that's important though that that's something that's kind of come up with a few people I think um I think we had Alex Jacob on who directs um shows like four o'clock club and he was saying mm-hmm. that I, I'm just a big kid and I think that that really does help yeah it, it just it does like that 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 sense of play that sense of like um willing to be silly and I think that I'm very much like that so uh that definitely helps with connecting to to kids and there's something as well that's, that's kind of come up a few times during the conversations I've been having uh, for this podcast is is about the kind of absolute necessity of comedy in, in children's shows. Even when you're dealing with difficult themes, there has to be humour. You always have to be able to return to that that warmth and that play. Um, for you as a, as a writer, as a comedian, why do you think comedy is, is so integral to children's content? What's its purpose? That feels like a really general question so i apologize no it's general but it's also a difficult one to nail down i feel like i feel like obviously like that whole laugh or cry mentality i feel, I feel like that's real do you know what i mean like i think more mm-hmm. people choose to laugh choose to entertain i think they're looking for an escape they're looking for something that's going to make them feel good so i feel like you know that's just that's like the definition of laughter right? i feel like that's what what they're looking for so you know we we supply it um, yeah, I feel like that's kind of why that stuff works for kids. It's like, you know, the escapism, the, the looking for something to, to have fun with, like, you know, whenever you like, invariably like the, your best friends when you're growing up are people that make you laugh. Like you don't, you don't hang around the people who, who hurt your feelings and make you cry all the time because that you don't want that. Like you want the good vibes, you want the good feelings. And so yeah. I think that's why comedies for kids work. Cause it's like, it's that. It's that cool friend that's like gonna make you make you happy. I love that. That's a really that's just a really solid note for writers as well. To write as if you are the cool friend, <laughs> or to write the cool friends. I, I mean, I think that's something that always works really well on screen is when you see a gang of mates that you want to be part of. That I yeah. mean, even with Secret Life Boys, I'm like, I want to hang out with them and I want to like get into some like antics. It sounds great. Um, I, if you could sum up for us again, this is a maybe a big question, but what would be your number one tip for new writers for when it comes to writing sitcoms or comedy for, for children? What's the most important thing to know? Um, I would say, I would say don't overthink. Oh, don't overthink it. I think it's just like you have a, you have a character or characters 
they have a strong goal, a strong want, and just throw as many obstacles as you can at them. Like, I think if you do that, you're going to have a story that not only engages kids, but it'll engage the people who are making the kids' content, the adults who are going to read your script and be like, oh, I want to make this show. So I think that's kind of my tip. And then also, I mean, I'd say don't be afraid to share your work and with, with people you trust and get the, get uh, get their eyes on it and then be able to, you know, take their advice. I always tell people, like, you know, advice is advices can be good and bad, right? So, like, I always tell people, if you get notes from somebody, decide which notes help you make the show more of what you want it to be and take those notes. And any note that makes the show less of what you want it to be, don't be afraid to just be like, I'm not taking those notes because they're they're not going to help me. A lot of times people think they have to take every note. That's not, the. it's your show. It's your baby. You're the one that's going to be putting it, um, putting it out there. It should feel like your voice. And a lot of times people feel like, oh, I just got to take all these notes. It's like, no, no, no. Take the notes and make it more of what you want it to be. And then that's how you build a strong, a strong script. That's how you build a strong uh, show. That's really solid. Yeah. That I think especially for people who are kind of just coming into to the industry and, and as new writers, when you, like you say, there is that impulse to go, oh, I'm, I'm not in a position of power here. I'm not in charge. I'm just going to do everything they tell me to do. I'm going to take all of these notes. But I think, like you say, being able to to fight your corner a little bit and to say, no, this is why I think that I've, I've done this in this way or, or I don't think that note really makes sense. That's really, yeah, to be able to actually yeah. engage with the notes instead of just kind of going, ah, okay, I'll do that, sure. That's what happens so often is writers will go, well, what am I going to do with these things? And then they just kind of freak out for a week and then they don't, then they miss their deadline because they've been freaking out. But what I always do is, I always do this with the, my writers and my shows too, is I kind of show them how I take the notes and I'll be like, okay, this that's a good note because that actually will help us get to this better. And this is a good note. And then this note, it fights this other thing that they don't realize that, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to push back on that note in a, in a lovely manner. Like, oh, we couldn't do this for these reasons. And I always have a reason why we couldn't do it. And then I've never had a situation where, <laughs> I mean, oftentimes I'll be like, oh, okay, I get that. Can we do this instead? And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. There'll be a little discussion. But like, I've never had a situation where the broadcaster or the, the production producer like, no, it has to be this or else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> if I ever went through that, I'd be like, okay, I guess we're we're done working here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because it's like you mean there's a reason why they hired you or the reasons why there's a reason why you're doing it because, you know, you are the creative force that they they want to employ to to tell this story. So, uh be feel good that you've been chosen for feel good that you're working on something and and, you know, be strong in your voice. It's brilliant, brilliant advice. And and one last question. Um, you said at the start that you watched a lot of TV as a kid. Did you have a favorite show? As a kid? Oh, yeah. man. As a kid, I watched, I loved, like, Golden Girls. Okay. Um, I loved, like, I, I watched all that TGIF stuff, like the Full House and the um, Family Matters and Perfect Strangers and all the problematic TV shows that happened in the 80s. I watched all those things. Um <laughs> It was all about like, you know, just, yeah, it was all about like finding fun and finding new interesting worlds and just kind of being able to see it all. I think that's, you know, those are like my favorite shows going, oh, and of course the Muppet, the Muppets, like the, that's, a, the Muppets are a huge source of, I was just, you know, so funny, I was just watching original Muppet shows last night uh, on Disney Plus. Like I was like that, that show, like, I feel like I kind of put on my Twitter that I want to be Kermit the Frog when I grow up. I feel like that's, <laughs> 
that's kind of what he's he was the ultimate showrunner. You know what I mean? Like you watch him yeah, yeah. You watch him work and you're like, okay, that guy gets it. He knows how to he, he's pulling his little froggy hairs out all the time, but like at the same time he he has he's surrounded by a bunch of ridiculous creatives and he's just like pulling it all together every single time. I love that. Be more Kermit. That's Be the takeaway. <laughs> For real. Like I I a lot of times myself, what would Kermit do in this situation? <laughs> Amazing. Well, I mean, Anthony, it's been an absolute joy and I'm, I've, I've learned so much from you. So I really, really appreciate you sharing your insight with us. Thank you so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to Even Baddies Wear Helmets. The podcast was hosted by me, Billy Collins, produced by Cloda Chapman with music from Finley Stafford and our lovely logo was designed by Lucy Tiller. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can find us on social media at Even Baddies Pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Make sure you subscribe, share, tell your mates. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you soon.